This morning we are going to continue our series on the church. It's my hope that as we progress through this, that we are renewed in our understanding and our purpose as the church that Jesus Christ died to make us a part of. Amen? And so each week we have been focused on different aspects regarding the church. First, that the church consists of those who have been called out by God, and that is what the word church means. It means the called out ones. And so the church is populated only by people who've been called out. Not like I'm calling you out, but called out from the world. In other words, called out. People have been called out from a, a life ruled by sin leading to death to the life that Jesus Christ died to give, which is the born-again life. Life by the Spirit. Romans chapter 8, a spiritual birth. And so the the church consists of those not who just attend church. Terry, could you turn this up just a little bit, please? Could you turn this up just a little? Yeah? Okay, cool. Sorry, I didn't know. And uh, the, the church consists of those who aren't, don't just attend church, but you're, you're born into the church and not a natural birth, but a spiritual birth. That is what the, the church consists of, those who are born again, and we are born again through faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what happens. It's something that God does on our behalf. Secondly, when a person has been born again into the church by God's grace through faith in Jesus, we find that we now have a new identity. When you were born into your natural family, whether you knew it or not, you had a new identity, believe it or not. And you found out as you grew what that identity was, who your parents were, how you related, all the things that were yours as part of that family. Similarly, when we have been born again into the family of God, we have found out now as we grow and we're realizing that, wow, who our Father is and who the Savior is and our relationship to Him. And by the way, I've been born into the, a family, the body of Christ, other people who have been born again and called out of the world. And what are our shared blessings? What is our commonality? What is it that identifies us? We are in Christ, the Scriptures declare. Not in the world. We are now in Christ. We have been transformed from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light by His grace. Amen. But those who have been called out, we find out that God, all that God has done on behalf of His children in His family called the church, and we find out that we are blessed, we are chosen, we've been adopted, we're redeemed, we're forgiven, we've been given the plan, and we are those who are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 1, 1 through what, 14? Did you guys do your homework? No, but that is what the church is. That's our new identity. All those things God has done for us. And thirdly, in this new family called the church, often referred to as the body of Christ or the body of believers, we now know that Jesus is the head of the church. Just in case we did not know who was in charge. I know last week you were waiting for me to say, I'm in charge. That's a, not what we were talking about. Jesus is in charge of his church. Praise the Lord. He is the head of his body. Jesus is Lord, not only of all the universe and all principalities and authorities that we learn in Colossians chapter 1, but he is head over his church. That's us. And we talked about how you have a head, and, and, and if you are disconnected from your head, guess what you aren't doing? Anything useful. But when you're connected to the head and, and, and you listen to what the head is telling the body to do, guess what happens? You have life. 
And every part of the body has a function and a purpose in bringing glory to where the head is directing the body. Amen. And so it's your brain that somehow tells you that there's not enough something and you need to go get something to eat. Or you need to plan out how you're going to get to the bathrooms through those doors. Amen. I'm just saying, these are the things that are going on. And so we are connected to the head, and and through the headship of Jesus Christ, we have life. And so Jesus is head of this church. It's His church. This church wasn't my idea. It's not your idea. It's His idea. And it's a spiritual group of people. Yes, we've got bodies of flesh and all those things, but we have been born again. That's what unites us together. We are born again into the same family. And there are brothers and sisters all over, not only Walla Walla who love Jesus Christ, who are born again, they are part of our family. We're part of their family. We're part of the body of Christ. We've got brothers and sisters all over the place who do not confess a false Christ and believe in a false gospel which is out there but who believe in Jesus Christ. And by the way, it's not just people from Walla Walla. People from San Diego, believe it or not, love Jesus Christ. California, can you believe it? They're, they're there? Can, I, can all the Californians say amen? Amen. Would you hear that? Oh, it's scary. We're here. Guess what? Oh, yeah, that's enough. Not, <laughs> says the guy from Montana. <laughs> Talk about... <laughs> we don't want to go over there. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying, right? But not only in, here in, in Walla Walla, in, in Washington, in, in the United States, all around the world, from every tongue, every tribe, every nation, Places we've never been or even thought of. The gospel is gone. Jesus has bled for his people and how he loves them and how he's drawn them to himself. Amen. So we have brothers and sisters all over the world in Christ Jesus. Ones that I bring tears to my eyes right now as I'm thinking about them that I haven't seen in 20 years, but I know I'll see them in glory. And so, thirdly, we have a head over us And that head is the Lord Jesus Christ. And His words are life to His body. That is how He directs His churches, through His Word, by His Spirit. And those two are not um, incompatible with one another. I think the church argues about the Word and the Spirit, and they argue, oh, you don't have enough of the Holy Spirit. Well, you don't have enough of the Word. Yes. Jesus said, my words are what? They're Spirit, right? And they are life. And so the Word of God is the Spirit speaking to us. And when the Spirit speaks to us, it's not going to contradict the Word of God. Amen. And so Jesus, what Jesus says as the head of the church goes, and those words are life to His body, and it is His place as head to direct the body as He sees fit. And that authority will always be directed by His Holy Spirit and should never contradict the written Word of God. Amen? The problem is we get it wrong. And so as His church, whom He died to save and draw to Himself, we exist 
now to glorify God by loving and obeying Jesus Christ. <clears throat> he's drawn you out. He's bought you. He's purchased you. And His plan is that you would obey Him by loving Him. That's what love and obedience is. Loving God is obeying Him, and obeying Him is loving Him. <clears throat> Excuse me. And we went into depth over that last week. So we have been born into the family of God called the church through faith in Jesus Christ. And you, along with the rest of the church, are submitted to and directed by, hopefully, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord directs this, again, by His Holy Spirit and His Word. And the Lord's purposes now become our purposes. The Lord's passions now become our passions. The Lord's plan now becomes our plan. The Lord's will becomes our will individually, as a family, in your own family, as a, as a family of believers, hopefully, and as the body of Christ, and not only as the body of Christ, but the body of Christ at large, we are accomplishing His will as He directs us. Amen. <clears throat> and we are now, by the way, in the process, both individually and as a church, learning how to submit our lives to Jesus Christ to love and obey Him. And as we do, as we love and obey Jesus, God is glorified and His will is accomplished in and through His church, the body of Jesus, and whom He now can move and use at His direction. Amen? I'm kind of saying it 15 different ways at the same time because I don't know about you, but I need to hear it different ways so I get it. Now, the issue with the church is that although we have been called out and we have believed upon Jesus as our Lord and Savior, although we have been blessed and chosen and adopted and redeemed and forgiven and given God's plan and sealed with the Holy Spirit, although we know that Jesus is in charge, He is the head, and that He has a purpose for us and a plan for us as a church, although all that is true, we find ourselves at one time or another not living in the light of those truths. I think that is a struggle for every Christian, and if not, come forward, Jesus. <clears throat> I mean... Seriously, we all struggle with that. Rather, we, f we find ourselves as His children uninformed, unequipped, or sometimes even unwilling. Do you, do you ever find yourself uninformed? Like you know that He's got something for us, but I don't know what that looks like. Or I know what He's asked me to do, but I really don't know how to do it. Anybody got one of those? Or I know all those things, and I know how to do it, but I'm like a Jonah. I'm just not going to do it. I, find, I think we find ourselves in one, one of those three situations as the church. And that is what the Bible often identifies, mostly the first two, as immature. Immature. That's immaturity. And it is impossible for the church to accomplish what the Lord desires if we are uninformed, unequipped, or even unwilling to do it. And we all have been there and are now there, and I am no exception to this, but the Lord desires that we grow into maturity in His kingdom. Do you know that? He desires for us to grow up. Not that there isn't a time and a place to be little. There is. But that is not the continual state in which we're to hover. 
I find it interesting that just before Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father, where he now is, Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 28, to the apostles, 28, 18 through 10, the Great Commission, all authority, I'm going to read some context here, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, amen, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I'm with you even to the very end of the age. This is, a great, this is the Great Commission. And we'll circle back to this at the end of our series, which is important because that's part of the mission of the church is to reach the lost world. But notice that Jesus told His disciples to make disciples of all nations, verse 19, baptizing them into the name, singular, of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's our new family identity. In verse 20, and this is the part I want us to think about, Jesus says, and teaching them to what? Obey everything I have commanded you. In other words, as disciples of Jesus, we are not instantly mature. We're not instantly mature. We're not Pop-Tarts. We don't throw in the microwave and 10 seconds later, whatever it is you guys do, I do. See, I I can't even wait for a toaster. I don't have Pop-Tarts, by the way. I want a Pop-Tart, but... Never mind. But he says there, in other words, as disciples, we're not instantly mature. We must be taught to obey everything. In that case, the the apostles were taught by Jesus. We look at Peter and we kind of laugh at him, but he had to grow, didn't he? All of them had to grow. I mean, constantly, Jesus was talking to them, saying, oh, of you, little faith. Oh, of you, little faith. You're like, why are you so hard on them? It's because he's not going to sit there and let them retard or remain stagnant. He's not going to do it. He loves them too much. He's going to inject teaching into their life, circumstances, difficulties where they fail, hardships where they have to learn, where they have to no longer depend on what they've always depended. They were fishermen. They knew how to fish. They got thrown in in the Sea of Galilee, which is a giant lake. They fished it their whole lives. They're out there, and they were overwhelmed by a storm. And Jesus has to come out there and get on the boat one time, and then he walks up to another time and tells Peter to get out. I mean, all these types of circumstances. Oh, you have little faith. Trust me. I said we're going to the other side. Now, we read the story and we go, of course you're going to the other side. Amen? We know that. Oh, come on, guys. Why don't you know? But when the storm hits us, we find I'm not there yet. I'm not mature yet. I don't trust the way I should trust. I don't believe the way I should believe. Oh, God, help me in my unbelief. We can all relate to our natural experiences about immaturity and the time it takes to become mature. We all have been babies at one time, right? And babies have two qualities that are overwhelming to me. First is that they bring great joy to a family. Amen? They bring great joy to a family. There is nothing like a newborn baby. They are brand new. They are full of life. They're cute. They're soft. Their skin is cool. And they're so helpless and you just want to hold them and watch them sleep and feed them and, and tend to them. I mean, parents know what I mean. They're cute. Grandparents are like, amen. And this is very much the sentiment uh, we have when, when someone comes to Christ. They're full of life, amen? They are 
Everything is brand new to them. They're born again in the Spirit. The things of God have come alive to them. They, they long to worship the Lord. They long to be in His Word. They long for His truth. They can't help but just share Jesus with everybody that they meet. It's just not, there aren't these blockades going on. There's just life flowing from them. We go, oh man, it's so cool to be around them. How encouraging it is. Amen. They're just so happy that they're in the family. We're happy that they're family. Babies bring a great deal of joy to a family. But the second quality that's overwhelmingly obvious to me is that babies bring great pain into a family. (laughs) Come on, you're supposed to laugh. (laughs) This is because they're immature, amen? And immaturity means that they're uninformed, unequipped, and they're often unwilling to fulfill a mature uh, role within the family. Rather, a baby is totally, 100% selfish, does anybody want to disagree at that point? You, have you had kids? I mean, they are. A baby is all about baby, right? Do you expect baby to go get the job and, and bring home the bacon? No, you expect baby to be baby, amen? Baby is a totally selfish in an innocent kind of way. And it needs go above, its, its needs go above everybody else's in the family, doesn't it? You ever notice that? The baby's needs go above everybody else's, and it draws every ounce of energy from mom and sometimes dad, right? All the mothers said. It do, that's what it does until you guys go crazy. But the baby does not care about others except when it's, concerns, it's concerning its own needs, I'm sorry if I'm painting a dark picture of babies right now. That's not my heart. But I am pointing to selfishness, am I not? And selfishness and immaturity are linked. Are they not? Yes. A baby doesn't care about others except when it's it's concerning its own needs, nor will it, unless over time the baby is patiently and lovingly equipped by dad and mom and the siblings about what it means to be and to act as a mature part of the family. That is to no longer be self-serving, but to be selflessly serving others. Amen? And some of you have gone, no, no, that's not it, because you've never grown out of the immaturity stage. It's all about you. I'm serious. And we've got a world full of people that are all about them. And everything exists for their pleasure and their existence. And the reason why they do what they do is because of them. That is not the body of Christ. That is not the new family you've been born into. That might have gone in your earthly family. That doesn't go in the body of Christ. There's a There's pain that the Lord interjects, not because He doesn't love you, but because He wants to bring you to maturity. He wants to change your thinking. And and, and the pain often comes from the relationships around you that go, you know what? Knock it off. It's time you grow up. We love you, but I mean, ever had any one of those situations where you just avoid someone like the plague? That's not how the body of Christ works. We inject ourselves into people's lives. We point out the immaturities as we've already looked at our own lives and said, I've got a thousand things that are going wrong, but we lovingly go to that person and say, listen, I see this area, this is where you need to grow, and we need to come alongside you and help you, because otherwise you're going to be playing with little toy cars by the oven when you're 50 years old. 
then that is not fitting for who God's called you to be. Amen. And I feel like that, by the way, that immaturity in my own life in areas. Okay, so I'm not just throwing spears at everybody else. There's areas in my life where the Lord has said, grow up, and I'm like, no. Anyone else? So this is not just, this is us submitting to the Lordship of Jesus. But it takes time to learn how to love and obey your parents, doesn't it? One of the first words your children learn is what? No, you didn't even, you didn't even have to teach them that, really. Well, because you modeled it. But it's true. It's, it's no. And then we have to teach them over and over, sharing, share. And then when, what happens is the concept of share happens, and then they throw a fit because someone took something from them because it's whose? It's mine. It's mine. And everything is mine. You exist for mine. You're mine. And that's kind of the world. And, and, and until we introduce pain and discipline and correction, and, and, and we, not only that, we model that for our kids. We model it for the body of Christ. We won't have maturity. We're just going to produce more pain. Amen? <clears throat> and because Jesus desires that we become mature parts of the body of Christ, not selfish, but selfless. Not that there isn't a time to be little babes in Christ, but he wants to grow us up. Amen? Because he desires his body to be unified, informed, and equipped to do his will, Jesus, like our earthly families, has, he has placed servant leadership roles within the church so that we would all grow up. No longer sucking the life out of everyone else, but laying down our lives so that others might live. And that Christ may be seen through us as we, as together we truly love and obey Jesus Christ as we love one another. And we're going to work towards that as a church uh, in, in shaping that in our minds. What does it mean to be a part of the body of Christ? It means that I lay down my life for you in the ways that God has enabled me to do it. And so with the remainder of our time, I'd like to begin to speak about those servant leadership roles. And I emphasize servant leadership. I'm going to use the word leadership, but know that it is servant leadership. It is not a hierarchy where they're at the top, you know, the leadership is at the top, and you all just are, are underneath. The way the Lord flips it around, He says the greatest is the least in the kingdom of heaven. The greatest is the servant of all. Amen? And so when you see that pride and that stuff jump up in leadership. That's, they need to pray for them. You need to pray for me. You need to pray for others and just say, Lord, help them. Um, because we're all are subject to that. But the idea is that we're, we're serving you in a way that would build you up and help mature you and focus you on what the Lordship of Jesus Christ says, what the Lord says in His Word. And that is where the authority in the church comes from. Any pastor, any elder, anyone in any type of spiritual authority, we do not have authority over your, li over your life. Do you know that? There's been shepherding movements and things within the church that seek to control, to tell you what to do. We don't want to have that. But where the authority comes is what Jesus says about what you do. And so when your life contradicts what he says, and it's 
becoming a situation in your life to where it's not that you're learning, you're just unwilling to do it. I think there's a, there's a place and a time for discipline within the church. But we want to not just be disciplined, we want to be proactive in all these things, amen? We want to learn. We want to come together and, and be whatever the word is to, to learn beforehand, before you mess up. Someone help me. <laughs> do one of those. Proactive, there we are. I was going to say preemptive, but that sounds more militant. <laughs> and so with the remainder of time, I would like to begin to speak about those servant leadership roles. We're not going to get through all of them. Um, please open to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. We're going to probably go for the first several, 12 verses, 13 verses. <clears throat> and I'm going to get the hard ones out of the way this morning. And next week, we'll roll back into the easier ones, the ones we're more f- familiar with, and, and we'll make our way there. But Paul begins in chapter 4, verse 1. He's writing to the church in Ephesus, okay? Notice in verses 1 and 2, he says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. How long could you just meditate on that? Lord, I want to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Paul has just spent the first three chapters teaching the church about their identity in Christ. We just hit the first chapter when I talked about how you're blessed, how you're chosen, how you're adopted, all those types of things. That's just the first chapter. He goes on for three chapters trying to pound in the new identity in the church. You're no longer this. You are this. You're this. This is who you are. This is who you are. This is who you are. And now in chapter 4, verse 1, he goes, now that you know who you are in Christ, live it out. You ready? Let's grow up. Amen? That's what he's saying, is he not? Yeah. And so he says, now live worthy of the calling. Look at all that God has done for you. Look at what he's done in you and through you. Look at all the blessings you have. Look what, man, all that's yours. This is your family. Wow. Let's live up to it. Let's aspire to all that God has called us to. And so as those blood-bought sons and daughters, now they know who they are. Paul is now urging them to live like it, to live that worthy call, to live united, to live a life of love. And so it is out of their new position in Christ that the actions have followed. That's why we spent so much time on who we are so far, not necessarily what we do. He says, be completely humble, be patient, bearing with one another in love. And and these three verses sum up what the new uh, life is. Is, of love is, is marked by, and uh, he says, make every effort, in verse 3, verse 3 says it, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. In other words, the body of Christ should be a unified body. When people are not humble, when they are not gentle, when they are not patient, when they're not bearing with one another in love, what do we have among us? We have division. Correct? And what do those things come from? They come from immaturity. Because a child wants what they want when they want it, and you're not giving it to me, so there. Amen. Do you see what I'm saying? Unfortunately, I've been a little bit childish. Anybody else ever been childish? Totally. 
And so he says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. In other words, this isn't something that naturally happens. We have to what? We have to work at it, right? We have to do it. We have to submit to it. And that unity of the Spirit is a priority. Notice it's unity of the Spirit. The unity of the body of Christ is not about politics. It's not about our nationality or race or anything like that. The unity is of the Spirit. It's a spiritual nature. And he explains what that is. In verse 4, he says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Now, I'm not going to break that apart for you right now. That's not the purpose of a teaching, but so clearly we're, we're unified under God in the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. We're unified. But guess what? Being unified does not necessarily mean uniformity. And this is what scares our culture, or, or, you know, is that we celebrate diversity, but it better be diversity the way that we want it and all that type of stuff. It's, it's that we can be unified as a people, but be incredibly diverse in how we work. And the point that, pa- that Paul gets into later on is with your own bodies. You're unified, you're one, but you have many parts that serve many functions, Amen. And that is very, very prevalent throughout the Scriptures. And so clearly we're, we're united, and yet we are diverse in Christ. And this is what verse 7 says, says, But to each one of us what has been given? Grace has been given as Christ, what? Appointed it. And so, yes, we are one, yet we see that Christ is given to who? To each one. That's you, individually. He has given to each one grace as he appointed it. Now, the word here in the Greek, grace, is, is charis, which is where it speaks of the undeserved favor given to each of us by Christ. God has given you in Christ his undeserved favor. Undeserved Grace is a single word for the gospel. If you could sum up, uh, you know, the gospel in word, it is just God's grace towards us, His undeserved. We have been saved by grace. God's undeserved, unmerited favor, His undeserved gift of His Son for us, and through faith in Christ, we receive this grace. And it is through that grace now that we've received from Christ, each one of us has received, that we now individually are gifted and are enabled by the Lord to extend God's grace in its various forms towards one another. In other words, we've received grace from God, and the grace that God's given to us not only is for salvation, but He's individually gifted us with giftings, spiritual giftings in the church, that are not contingent upon your natural giftings, they're spiritual giftings, and, and those are to be manifested just as He gave His grace, undeserved and unmerited. Guess what you're supposed to do with your gift? Give it away. Undeserved, unmerited, you just give it to who? The body of Christ. That's how we work. We're going to get more into those individual spiritual gifts. Don't worry, we're going to come back around to it later on. But those spiritual gifts He has given us, each of us, to minister 
we're going to get to later in the series. But what Paul is driving is here is the fact that the church is united in Christ and we are also diverse, but Paul is leading to how we come to maturity and unity. Because if I have a gift and I'm immature, what am I not going to do with it? I'm not going to give it away. I'm not going to understand my place. It's all about me. And that is the death nail of a church. When a member decides, I exist for me. Think about your body. So a kidney decides, nope. (laughs) Okay, we're running on half of what we're doing here. Two kidneys go out, what's happening? You've got to have some outside assistance of what's going on. And I feel and I see the church, not just our church, but the church at large, we, we, have, we're, we are thinking quite often, I don't know how many of you, but we're thinking that this is just all about me, what I can get out of about my plans and my goals, instead of saying, Lord Jesus, this is your church. You saved me. You brought me into it. What do you want me to do? I'm yours. And it's not just about Sunday morning. It's the church. You guys are, do you guys exist outside of Sunday? Just want to know. You're you're there? You're out in the world? You're doing things? Yeah, that too. It's the Monday through Saturday as well of the body interacting. and, And I see that happening in the body of Christ. But I want us all to come to that place. Amen? all of us to grow up, all of us to, to, to long for that. And that's the work of the Spirit. And what he's driving at here is, and he's leading to, is how we come to the maturity of unity through our diversity, how we come to learn about what our gifts are and how we are to use them specifically, how Christ matures his church. And now Paul in verse 8 through 9, he has to tell us how we receive the gifts. So he jumps off the page real quick. He says, in verse 8 and 9, he says, this is what it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave, it, gave gifts to his people. He's quoting out of the Psalms there. But what does he ascend mean except that he also descended to the lower regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. I'm not going to explain that right now. Jesus came to earth. He also died. He rose again. And he is seated high above all principalities, all power, all dominion. Our Lord Jesus is above all. And that's the point. And when a king was victorious, and this is the picture, when a king was victorious, when he'd go conquer a foreign land, he'd come before his own people and he'd parade all the spoils. Look what just happened. Look who I just conquered. Look at he bring back to all the prisoners that got captured. He'd bring everything, the spoils, and then he'd take the spoils and he'd distribute it throughout the kingdom. Look, look it, it's yours. And when Jesus ascended and seated at the right hand of the Father, he sent the spoils of the kingdom upon his church. He gifted us. You're no longer under death and sin and the curse. I've ruled it. I've done it. Amen. Hallelujah. And now, until I come back and get my foreign bride, I'm sending gifts. And the way he sends his gifts is through Eleazar. I know you're going, what? It's through the Holy Spirit. In Genesis 19, 20, 21, 22, somewhere around there, we have a picture of a father who sent a servant into a foreign land to go get a bride. Remember that picture? 
There was, a, there was a father, his name was Abraham, and he wanted to get a, a, a bride for his son, Isaac, but he had to send a servant into foreign land, and he sent that, that, that servant who we know from other verses, his name is Eleazar, which means comforter. So you've got a father, you've got a son, and you've got a comforter, you've got a Holy Spirit. He sends this Holy Spirit to foreign land. He goes to this woman who's never seen the son, says, hey, do you want to be married to this guy? She says, Yes. And what does he do with her at that moment? He pours gifts on her. He ladens her with riches. And she has to have a long journey home without even knowing the one she's marrying. It's a beautiful picture of Christ in the church. But the Holy Spirit was sent by God at Pentecost. And that's when the church was born. And that's when the gifts were manifested among his bride. Amen. We've been gifted. So because Christ was victorious over sin and death and he finished his redemptive work on the cross, our victorious Christ, he spread those gifts to the body of Christ. He's empowered us by his Holy Spirit to use them. And those gifts are not to be used just for for our own edification, but they're be in his own heart and his spirit. The gifts that he gives us, guess what's supposed to happen with them? We're supposed to give them away. And some of us have been gifted in different areas than others. But you have been gifted by the king. And some of you have been gifted in multiple areas. Praise the Lord. That's the way he appointed it. So what? You're not, if you're not that person, don't worry about it. God has appointed you for a specific task in his kingdom. And we'll get into that. So verse 11, Christ himself, what are those gifts that he gave? Paul not only said that, that Christ gave his gifts individually to us, but he gave gifts to the body, meaning for the body, for the body of Christ. And verse 11 says what those gifts are, and they are the gifted leaders in verse 11. And so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. Sticking with the baseball analogy from weeks gone by, Christ is the head coach. He's also the owner. <laughs> but and, and, and these leadership roles within the church have been and are just the assistant coaches. We're not in charge of anything. We're not calling the shots. He has simply enabled them to do what he says. And they will be held accountable for whether or not they have. They'll have a stricter judgment, James says. And so we're going to describe them. But so you don't get confused, and I think we need to end here, so we don't get confused as to their purpose. What is the purpose of God putting leadership within the church, gifted leadership within the church? What is the purpose? Verse 12 and 13, just so you don't look at all the titles. Everybody looks at titles and not what the purpose of it is. This is what you need to know, 12 and 13, right? This, is why, this, is, this describes what these gifted leaders, these, these apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastor teachers, why they are given to the church. Verse 12, what does it say? To equip His people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be what? Built up, edified, until we all, y'all, reach the unity in the faith 
and in the knowledge of the Son of God. In other words, until we come to the same understanding of Christ, until we understand the Scriptures, those things are expounded to us, and we understand Him in great depth. We see Him colored every single way to Sunday, and we begin to understand the fullness of who He is and who we are in Him and how we react with one another and His mission and His plan and all those types of things until we're built up, until we stop being immature and start being actively involved in His plan and start giving our lives for his purpose, his kingdom, his body. And let me tell you, if, 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 if you think that you're, you're, you're like going, hey, I'm a Christian, and that's just not in your radar, boy, that's a sad ride. Because that's what it's all about. His kingdom, his glory, his body, his plan, his purpose. And he pulled you out of it for it. And so, what does it say there? It says, to equip the people works of service so the body of Christ may build up until we all reach the unity of, of the faith, the doctrine, and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become what? Mature. Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. God has given the church spiritual leaders so that we would be equipped. We would be built up, matured in Christ until we all would fully reflect and that through us, God would be glorified. We reflect the Lord, and through us, God would be glorified. And it's very, in a very simplistic way of, of, of saying it, and we'll end it here, of describing it. God has given the church the gift of spiritual leaders so that we'd be shown and taught in various ways how to love and obey Jesus Christ. It's kind of like God just placed a bunch of moms and dads in the church, if that's a way of describing it to love and to tend and to grow us up in Christ. And guess what? One thing about moms and dads is they've always been, they themselves have been kids at one time. Amen? And so church, uh, I want to get into this because where we're going is you need to understand this is Christ's design for the church. It is important because he designed it. And you might not care, okay, there's mom and dad, I'm going to do what I want. No, you need to know their role and their function and your relationship to them because we together are going to be working together towards something. Amen? And let me say the authority, again, I want to say the authority that these people have given is not to rule over and lord over, but to what? Build up. To come under and to build up, to equip and encourage. And yes, we fail. But that's no excuse. This is what the Word of God says. Amen? And when there are godly leaders and they are laying their lives down for the sheep and the various giftings they've given, you're going to grow. And when you grow, God is glorified because we're going to start working together. And guess what? The mission of the gospel about loving one another and then going out and winning the lost, it's going to be top priority. It's going to be top priority. It's not an option because you know that Jesus Christ has commanded you to do it. And not only has he commanded you, he's equipped you to do it. Not to do all of it, to be a part of it. Amen? Not to do all of it, to be a part of it. And so the degree that we love and obey Jesus, I think heavily depends upon whether or not the leaders are stepping up in the church, not stepping over, stepping under, (laughs) and building up. Amen? And may that be done 
with greater and greater humility on my part and those leaders' parts within the church. And so I want to I want to head down this road of just quickly explaining what that is. Uh, I'm not going to spend forever on the apostles and all and the prophets and pastors and teachers, but move down to what is eldership, and then we're just going to get to okay. What about the body of Christ? What, what do we do? How do we, how do we function together? What are your gifts? What are the gifts that the Scripture lays out in Scripture? How do those work together? What has God called you for the out, upward ministry, the inward ministry, and the outward ministry of the body of Christ? Those three things. And, and what I'm praying is that through this, the Holy Spirit would get us to function this on, on all three cylinders. Amen? As we abide in the vine. So, Lord God, we lift up the church to you this morning, this church and those in the valley, and we ask, Lord, Lord, I, I pray for the leaders. I pray for all the things that the Lord would have us to be, Father. I, I, I ask that you'd cause the leaders to be humble, that they'd be spirit-filled, that they would not be uh, running the church, Lord, with our own schemes and ideas, Lord, but just reading your word and simply obeying it. And God, I pray that there would be hungry ears and hungry hearts, Lord, for your, the things of your spirit, that there would just be a willingness. I pray that your church would grow in Walla Walla, God. It would grow to the place where you would be glorified, that the love of Christ would be tangible to the lost, of how we love each other so deeply, how we lay down our lives for each other, even at our own peril, God. Would you please, Lord, we just want more of your spirit, not so that we can be weird, but so that we can be like you. Your love would be manifest among us. Your gifts would be manifest, Lord. Your power would be present. And I'm praying many would come to know you through this fellowship. So, Lord, we thank you for this time in your word. Thank you for the explanation of these things, Lord, and we're learning. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ.